Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Carice. It's estimated that 50% of treatment failures and 25% of hospitalizations in the United States can be attributed to one factor, people failing to take their prescriptions. The reasons for this, of course, are many, including cognitive problems, cost, confusion over insurance coverage, and more. And if you have a complex condition requiring specialty medications, you can add several other obstacles to that list. Well, we're going to learn more about this problem and ways to solve it today from Deepak Thomas, the co-founder and CEO of Phil, that's P-H-I-L, a patient access platform designed to reduce friction and remove barriers to people starting and continuing their prescriptions. He started the company based in part on his own experience dealing with a chronic medical condition and drew on many years of experience working for leading tech companies such as Oracle, eBay, and Shutterfly to build the solution. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. We always start with learning more about our guests and what first got them interested in their career. So what's what's your story about getting into the tech sector? So as a college senior in the late 90s, I remember seeing Mark Andreessen, and, and I'm dating myself and I bring up Mark Andreessen references, but He's the founder of Netscape, and he pretty much invented the modern internet browser. I remember seeing a picture of him on the cover of the Time magazine. He was sitting on a throne barefoot, and you know, as as a college senior, I, I it, it occurred to me was that here was someone changing how we live with little more than a computer connected to the internet. I was not trained to be a computer science engineer, but ended up being a self-taught one. You know, since then, I've always believed that technology is one of the most democratized and easily accessible means for a lot of us to to create the change in the world that we hope to see, right? So, so that's, it was not a very set path getting into, into technology. It, it was more, it was more meandering, but I find a lot of purpose in it. I feel like it, it gives you the tools that, that, that you could use to. To, to see the change through in the world that you hope to see. Yeah, and it's not possible to get bored either. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deep enough rabbit hole that there's little risk of that happening, yeah. So as I mentioned, you worked for some pretty big tech companies, and that helped when you were getting Phil started. But you also had this personal reason for heading down the path in the first place. Tell us about that. Yeah, so so in my 20s, I, I had... Just moved to, to the States. I grew up in India and I moved to the States. I used to work for Oracle in India. And they answered me out here to the, to the San Francisco Bay Area. And just shortly after I moved over, within a month or so, hiking up in Morgan County, for those of us who are familiar with this neck of the woods, it's north of the Golden Gate Bridge. I ended up picking up a tick and was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and, and treated for it for the next six plus years. I was fortunate to be under the care of some very proficient prescribers, doctors, and I and pretty much shook it off entirely after after you know six years or so of therapy. But it was also a very a ringside view of how healthcare worked in the most prosperous nation on the planet. It was it was it was in some ways discombobulating because. I remember buying my first car, which, you know, I did the research online and uh, 
drove it off the lot the very same day <laughs> that I went to see a dealer. But when it came to accessing medications that could keep me healthy and keep me well and eventually kick this condition, I found myself making three to four trips to to the pharmacy every week, despite being covered by one of the most generous plans that my 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 employer at the time Oracle had exceptionally generous as you probably still do healthcare benefits so that that was that was a head scratcher uh, and I considered myself always an outsider to healthcare so the fact that our day-to-day experiences when it comes to buying everything other than healthcare is so orthogonal to you to buying services that that fall under the umbrella of, of healthcare and how those are so disjoint, it it's you know it's it's worth exploring not just as a society but as someone who wants to to use technology to remove friction from day to day consumer experiences. So in a way, it was sort of a coming together of a very personal experience and all of the things that you pick up by way of professional skills as you progress in your career. Yeah. As you started looking into it, um, were you surprised that the causes of that friction or the range of the frictions and barriers? So I, I also have a, an economics background, academically speaking. So most of the, the the wrinkles or frictions in our consumer experiences can be explained by the underlying incentives. It can also be explained by by the, the extent to which technology has been deployed or not in terms of solving some of the underlying issues. So when 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 you want to solve for a consumer experience that should be, in my opinion, that should be your North Star, meaning you want the world to look differently tomorrow than it looks today. And that means convenient, affordable access to any part, not just healthcare. But that's it's not a user interface problem. The user interface is an outcome of solving everything that lies beneath the surface. And so when you look under the surface, you see information asymmetries, which is a fancy way of saying if only the various stakeholders involved in this process of getting the patient on therapy, if only they knew what they needed to know or needed to do at the right points in time, the patients get on therapy. The other has to do with workflow automation, meaning there are certain steps that needed to be taken, whether it's the, the steps that the prescriber needs to take or that the pharmacy needs to take. If those are not transacted in a way where technology has been taken into, into consideration to automate and create efficiency, that will show up in the user interface, right? So that, that was another observation. And then there are financial incentives that are misaligned. So what's good for a pharmacy may not necessarily be good for the patient or you know the prescriber's incentives may not be entirely aligned with those of the pharmacy. So, so there are a lot of misalignments on those fronts. So if you fix all of those things that lie beneath the surface, then the user interface comes together. But the user interface is the guiding principle. By user interface, I mean, how close can you approximate the experience of buying something on, say, Amazon to that of buying healthcare services, right? So but the way you solve that has to be, you know, has to take into account how the system's put together uh, behind the scenes. So that's a lot to untangle. Obviously, tell us how you 
what your approach to it is? What's your solution to that? So it's a systemic problem, meaning the reason that you are, the, the way that you buy prescription medications or get access to them has not changed in the last you know, several decades, while everything else that you buy has substantially evolved. You pull out your phone, tap a couple buttons, and have stuff show up at your door. So there, there's an increasing gap between those those experiences. And I think that the the reason that gap exists is not so much because someone's not invented an, an app that looks similar to that that we have on to buy prescriptions. Uh, if that were the case, that would have already been solved, right? I mean, the reason that the gap exists is everything that happens before somebody's able to press that button remains static. So when you unpack that, you see a supply chain that has all of the three issues that I alluded to earlier, right? Misalignment, economic incentives, poor workflow automation, and information asymmetries. So it turns out that uh, these two or these three problems are such that they are meetable to solution through technology. So, so we know that tech keeps various people informed. It's, it's one of the primary use cases is communication. So if you're able to keep the patient informed in the same way that they're informed and they order something on Amazon, meaning they're informed in terms of price, meaning when we go online and buy something, the two things that, say, a brand like Amazon does exceptionally well is the answer to the most elementary of questions, which is how much does this cost? Am I paying the right price? When will I get it? Right. So, so you get the answers to those as simple as those questions might be. The entities that solve it exceptionally well, they, they serve the customer really well. And in, in this case, if using technology, we're able to answer those questions really well. So, when a patient is put on therapy, to be told when they can expect to, to get started on this medication, which is a point in time when they are dealing with more than usual anxiety, levels of anxiety, because, you know, they're going through what is, in many cases, a, a reckoning with their own mortality if the condition is that grievous, right? So, so that's when the experience needs to step up and tell them when can they expect to get better. It's really that that consequential, right? right. So we, we focus on that. Then the next part is affordability, right? So we need to be able to tell the patient what to expect in terms of affordability. So the, the systems that we built essentially inform the patient of this new therapy that you've been written, when will we get it and how much we expect to pay. And as simple as the answers might be, the, the solution leading up to it has to solve for everything behind the scenes. So which leads to the prescriber. So yeah, the pres- what I was going to ask you, you know, when, so yeah, those, yeah. The, they set the process in motion. What's it like for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, they, they are, candidly, they're in a tough spot because the the average prescriber's office is understaffed, uh, overworked, and certainly not compensated for all of the workflow that they need to undertake in order to get a specialty medication to meet the bar set by the payer. And the, and the payer, obviously, being an actual entity, has certain thresholds that, that need to be met in order for the, the patient to qualify for that medication. That's that's well understood and 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 necessary. But the you could call it a conviction process, right? Meaning you know, these boxes need to be checked, the patient needs to have gone through or need to be diagnosed with a certain subset of conditions that 
qualify them for the for the PRB. But it, it falls on the prescriber's office to 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 navigate those. They have they're not set up to do that. They don't have the right tools to do to go through that process. And there's very little automation. The other reality of the prescriber's office is in an environment like the one that I described, there is very little appetite to learn the, the shiny new app or tool or a newfangled piece of technology. So you have to meet, just like we have to meet the patient where they are in terms of the user experience that they are accustomed to, which is pulling out the phone and tapping a couple of buttons. You have to meet the prescriber where they are in terms of the user interface that they are willing to adopt. It has to be relatable. So what we do is we, we make it much easier for them through automation to meet the payer requirements or to submit the necessary documentation to the, to the payer using tools that they're already familiar with. Uh, most of the automation happens beneath the server. So by sort of you know reducing their workload burden when it comes to meeting payer requirements, we then free them up to, to deliver care, which is why they signed up uh, for their location at the first place, right? Yeah, you know, you alluded to something there about not having time or inclination to deal with a new shiny object. As you well know, there are all kinds of digital health solutions being developed and presented to providers. So how do you break through that and um, get them to pay attention to, to your product? So, so we start by not introducing a new new tool or a new user interface for them to learn at all. I, I think that the the fallacy has always been that in order to have technology create an impact in a user's interaction with technology, that user could be the prescriber or the patient, doesn't matter, that you have to build something new and that they have to climb this hill of learning that new technology to, to get there. You can have the technology work behind the scenes, but the user interface could be something that's already familiar. So in our case, there are three technologies, our observation that there are three technologies that the prescriber's office is already very familiar with. So our thought process was rather than build a new interface, put, put an iPad in front of them, ask them to, to sign up for a new portal. Can we work with their EMR system, their favorite fax machine and say an electronic private authorization tool that they're already familiar with and have all of the automation run behind the scenes. So the surface layer, already familiar, nothing new to learn, but all the hard work is happening underneath the surface. So, so you get the benefits of automation, but you're not having to learn a, a new set of tools. That, that has been our breakthrough. The graveyard of digital tools is filled with many a company that has tried to teach the prescriber new tools and failed because of just because of that, right? The adoption of the burden. Yeah, no, that that is a great insight. So you're really needing to get to the IT department and the and the leadership of these health systems and practices, really, and explain to them what you just said. Their providers don't need to learn anything new. We can integrate That's this into what they've got already. And I'm just guessing that healthcare is the only place still using faxes. So as you know, there are existing options for dealing with these problems, specialty pharmacies, patient hubs. What is it about the fill solution that you think really differentiates it? Every decade or so, or a couple of decades, there's a generational, not incremental shift in how people do things, right? And, and we see that around us, right? So we, you know, in the next 10 years, 
we're not going to see as many cars with tailpipes on them, right? So that's a generational shift, right? So, and and that that's how we see ourselves, right? So the next step in patient access solution is one where uh, technology is what powers patient access, not call centers, not the fax machines that you alluded to. They all have a role, right? I think uh, there is not a, not a scenario where that's techno-utopian when it comes to healthcare. The care part of healthcare assumes that it can only be rendered by another human being, right? So we absolutely want to keep the human in the loop. I sometimes use the distinction between the clinical and the clerical, right? I think the clinical aspects of healthcare has to be most instances and most likely in the future will continue to be rendered by caregivers and providers. The clerical aspects of what they do, they didn't train for it. It's very inefficient for them to do it. Those parts need to be handled by technology and they are not today. And so when we replace those parts, the clerical parts, the non-automated parts of technology, then becomes dramatically a shift from how things are done today, right? So, so for instance, one comparable here would be, there are patient access services out there today based on third-party estimates. We're probably almost 80 to 90% more efficient in terms of getting patients on therapy using the model that we built. But in terms of the number of human beings that you need to, to, to have in the loop to rent, deliver care, because they're mostly just focused on delivering care, it's a one to 30 ratio compared to a, say, call center-based patient access platform, where every 30 folks that who are mostly in a call center who are mostly performing these sort of clerical activities, even though they, they might be nurses or pharmacy technicians, you only have one because everything that's clerical in nature, that's uh, routinized in nature, the technology handles that, uh, and people do what they truly do best, which is to be that empathetic voice on the phone, the, the voice that can deliver the care that the patient deserves. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's far ahead of what we have by way of a traditional solution today. Yeah, that's a big jump in efficiency. And did you say that the fill system, you're showing 80 to 90% more uh, compliance? I'm not sure I understood what you just said about that. Yeah, the adherence rates are substantially higher. So, so in a traditional hub program, you would, you know, 15 to 20 percentage enrollment into a hub program is considered a victory. You know, in our case, because the prescriber is not burdened. So, so if you think about a traditional hub service, the idea is that let me help you, the doctor, with all the documentation, but let's start with a four-page form. It's it's somewhat interesting that that's how that value proposition kicks off. In our case, since there's nothing new to learn for the prescriber and the patient, is the prescriber is essentially using their existing EMR system to kick things off with us, and the patient, while often sitting in front of the prescriber, gets a text message with a link in it, and then they click through, which takes them through the experience, the, the enrollment rates into, into the patient access programs offered that a manufacturer is easily 90% on average across all of our programs. So that's right there, you have a four and a half times improvement at the sort of the top of the process. And then when it comes to adherence rates, I was, yesterday I was on a call with a, with a client of ours here in retail, they 
for a medication that patients typically need to be on for several months. In retail, they see patients to be adherent for one and a half months on average, whereas patients that we are able to help uh, get on therapies stay on therapy on the average for 10 months, right? So it's a, it's a substantial improvement in outcomes because patients stay and get on therapy faster, more affordably, and then stay on therapy a lot longer in accordance with what their prescribers need them to be. Yeah, because the renewal process has been identified as a pain point before. You know, people will start, but then there's problems with insurance or whatever else that get in the way. So, yeah. Very interesting. So what's what's next for Phil? What are you working on? Uh, so, so we think in terms of two strategic vectors, if you want to call it that, right? Uh, we think that we barely scratch the surface in terms of the populations we can help, right? So that, so that means we want to partner with either directly or partner with uh, other pharmacists, entities that have the relationships that would help us get our solution in front of more and more prescribers and patients who could benefit from it. So that's that's a big focus of ours. And we continue to grow at a pace that reflects that. And then the the other one other vector for us really is not resting on our laurels when it comes to the services that we offer. And I think that we just talked through the the specialty prescription workflow and how we are able to influence that. But the the gamut of pharma services is a lot broader than that, right? There there are adherent services, there are clinical support that's offered to depending on the therapy. Significant gaps in automation exist for these models. Uh, so we would love to help on those fronts. But it's you know, these are adjacent areas we continue to invest in them. Plenty of targets as far as bringing efficiency to the healthcare system. <laughs> So we just have a minute left. We'd like to end with having our guests provide some advice to uh, our audience, which is learners, med students, nursing students, and also early career folks about approaching their careers. In your case, you know, you got into tech, probably didn't imagine focusing on healthcare, but here you are. So what's your go-to advice? Yeah, I've noticed this tendency where the, the smartest people in healthcare end up crimping their imagination because they can't imagine a tomorrow that's different from yesterday because they have not really thought about it from the from the patient's perspective, but because of all the time that they expend in learning how the system works, they, it, for lack of a better term, it's very discouraging because it, it almost feels like uh, change is not possible. But the minute you are able to view it from the patient's perspective and recognize that the patient is a consumer that that has a higher bar in terms of their expectations as as to how this is yet another interaction that they're that they're engaged in and and they know better. So do you. So how do you bring those two together? Don't be discouraged by looking at the system from the inside, look at it from the outside, because ultimately you are exceptionally well qualified to, to solve for it, but especially if you if you have both perspectives, right? So so that would be a, a piece of advice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had the benefit of being an outsider and the disadvantage of not knowing how the system's put together and have to figure it out. Whereas many of you folks already know how it's put together, but now you may want to acquire the 
the patient's perspective, right? Yeah. That's really interesting. Very, very valuable perspective shift uh, for our listeners. Appreciate that. And appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, Michael. Appreciate the time. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the wine and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.